hey guys, guess what? You can get a pumpkin spice latte at your favorite coffee shop. You know what that means, right? Fall is upon us. It's almost here. And you guys don't sound as excited as I am. I love the fall. It's my favorite time of year. I can't wait for the heat to go, for the leaves to drop, and for it to get a little cooler. Anybody say amen for a little hoodie weather. Right? I love putting on a hoodie. I love it. I love it. I can't, I can't wait for it. And I love everything pumpkin as well. I go to BJ's now, and they have this pumpkin a roll, like full of buttercream, and it's so bad for you, but so good. And I can't wait to uh, get a hunk of that. It's so good. But also, it also means that uh, the, our fall semester of life groups are about to kick off as well. And life groups are a huge part of what we do here as a church, and I'm really excited about that. It's a time when we can, outside of a Sunday, get together, uh, eat. There's always food there. We get to uh, share in on the conversation. We get to laugh. We get to enjoy time together, and it's really important it really is the backbone of, uh, of us as a church. It's really important. So I'm really excited about our fall semester of life groups. That's coming up, and you're going to be getting a lot more information about that real soon. Now, like Shannon just mentioned, today we're coming back to a series that we started last year, and it's called Fake News. Now, it has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with our president or state of our country or anything like that. It has nothing to do with that, but it has everything to do uh, with a small letter, a little letter that was written by Paul to the churches in the regions of Galatia. Now, it's been a while since we spoke about this, so if you didn't, if you weren't here for the start of that series, let me refresh your memories. The church, uh, the churches in Galatia were incredibly diverse, as they were full of both Jewish and Gentile believers coming together to worship Jesus. Now, Paul writes this letter to the believers in Galatia because a false teaching, a rumor, was spreading among them, which was greatly impacting specifically, get this, male Gentile Christians specifically. Now, a certain religious sect had began to spread this teaching that in order to truly be saved, in order to truly be a Christian, there was a certain ceremonial procedure that had to be done. In other words, what they were saying was that you were not saved by faith alone and in Christ alone. It was that plus a few other things that you had to add on. And for this particular religious group, specifically, it was the ceremonial ritual of circumcision. Which, of course, if you were an adult male Gentile, you were like, no way. I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to deal with that. So I guess if you had to compare it to anything today, it was kind of like if I were to get up here and say something like, hey, if you don't get baptized, then you're not truly saved. Or if, if you don't partake in communion, then I'm sorry, there's no one-way ticket to heaven for you, okay? It's kind of similar to that. If you don't do these things, then you're not redeemed, you're not forgiven, you're not covered by the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus, it's what he did for you on the cross, plus X, Y, Z. And what Paul has been communicating throughout the entirety of this letter, what he's, he's been beating it like a drum, he's been saying is that there's only one good news, and all other gospels are fake news. And he's been communicating it emphatically that the moment you add anything to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you remove the power off of Christ and his ability to save, to redeem, to forgive, and to restore. And so Paul has been drilling this in and dismantling the argument made by this particular group of religious leaders that were confusing and leading so many people astray. And so today, we're going to pick it up in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. By the way, we're going to do something a little different for this series. If you guys notice, on your left, my right, there's a bunch of Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along today, in today's verses, you can walk over, grab one, and you can follow along in today's Bible verses. We're in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, or you need one, or you want 
you know, the version of the Bible that we've been reading from here on Sundays, and you can keep that Bible. That's there for you to follow along. At any moment, just get up and grab it. Now, in these verses, Galatians 3, 10 to 14, in these verses, Paul is going to contrast the curse that we are under because of the law, and then Jesus becoming a curse on our behalf in order to free us and make us righteous before God. Now, by the way, guys, if you're here today and you're struggling to understand like what Paul means oh, when he talks about being under the law or keeping the law, what does that mean? You're like, geez, Danny, I didn't know we were going to spend a day at Harvard Law School. Let me help you understand a little bit, okay? What Paul is actually referring to is the laws and the commandments given in the Old Testament of the Bible. You see, before Jesus, God had given the Jewish people a list of rules and laws to follow. And under the Old Covenant, following the law is what made a person ceremonially clean or pure, able to approach God. Essentially, they couldn't go to church without following these rules. Without, they couldn't approach God without following these rules. But ultimately, the law was a picture that would show us our inability to keep it. Think about it. Perhaps the most you know, well-known laws of the Old Testament, the most popular ones, you've seen the movie, the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not steal. You should not dishonor your parents. That's morality 101, right? The most basic of laws, yet the most basic moral law, we're unable to keep it. It's impossible. And ultimately, the law would point us to our miserable inability to keep it and then point us to the only one who could and who did and who did so for us and died in our place to pay for the penalty uh, for our inability to keep the law. And so for today's message, here's the big idea. Take out your message notes. I love to hear the clicking of pens. There's a couple fill in the blanks there so that you can follow along. And basically, here's the big idea of what we're going to talk about today, all right? So if you want to doze off or if you have your mind on tomorrow's barbecue, just take this down. And when you go home and somebody asks you what you learned in church, just repeat this, okay? Here's the big idea. Here it is right there. There's a couple fill in the blanks. We are no longer under the curse of the law because Jesus became a curse for us. We are no longer under the curse of the law because Jesus became a curse for us. Let me ask you guys a question. Have you ever broken your leg or twisted your ankle really badly, right? Uh, if not, perhaps you know someone who has. And my brother-in-law last year, he was out jogging uh, in the evening and uh, he came at a stop sign. He, he jogged across the stop sign. The car did not stop and hit him. And he was on, uh, he, was, he was injured, you know, badly last year. He was on crutches for a while. Because whenever you get hurt like that, you know, you go to the hospital, you go to the emergency room, and usually what they do is they hand you crutches, right? And you wear these, you put these crutches. The reason is because you're unable to put weight on your leg or your ankle. And so the crutch helps you distribute the weight, and it gives you additional support. You rely on the crutch to hold your weight and to help you get around while putting minimal pressure to your injury. Now, for this religious sect that was spreading this rumor to the Gentile Christians, they're using this particular rule, keeping, as a crutch. They're relying and depending on keeping the law for their salvation and their right standing with God. But here's what Paul's going to say. It's number one in your notes. Paul is saying this, that if you rely on the works of the law, then you are cursed. If you rely on the works of the law, then you are cursed. Look at verse 10. It says this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now, why don't you guys go ahead and circle uh, in that verse, verse 10, the word rely. The word rely. Those who rely on the works of the law. 
Now, Paul uses scripture from the Old Testament. Essentially, what he's doing in this verse, he's quoting uh, from the Old Testament. He's using scripture from the Old Testament to bring about a rebuttal to these people spreading this false teaching. And what he's saying is, hey, man, that's cool if you want to bring about the law, if you want to live your life that way, but make sure you keep them all. All right. If you're going to keep one, you got to keep them all. And by the way, make sure that you keep them perfectly without fail. Don't even mess up one. Don't even screw once. If you're going to live your life that way. And what you need to realize is that beyond the Ten Commandments, there's over 600 laws in the Old Testament. And in the inability to keep even just one, you were brought under the curse. And this is why religious and self-righteous people are the worst. Because they claim to keep the letter of the law, but there's always hypocrisy. Because if there's anything the law teaches us is we are unable to keep the law. Well, Paul says, you're using your works as a crutch. But that's a weak crutch you're leaning on because you're actually under a curse. Let me ask you guys a question. Think about this for a moment. What are you using as a crutch that is undermining your complete and utter dependence on Jesus? You see, sometimes we depend on things outwardly to make us feel righteous. To make us feel like we're close to God. But inwardly, we're decaying. Because dependence on anything other than faith in Jesus is a curse. This type of hypocrisy is always difficult to see in the mirror. But the moment we use anything else as a crutch over Christ alone, we're relying on the law. But Paul's going to say this, number two in your notes, that we are not justified by the law, but by faith. We are not justified by the law, but by faith. Look at what he says. He says it this way in verse 11 and 12. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because, read this next part with me, because what? Because the righteous will live by faith. All right, guys, come back from the beach. Get off the yacht. Labor Day's tomorrow. Come back. Ready? Let's read this part out loud together. Because what? Because the righteous will live by faith. Verse 12, but the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. And as I was studying this passage this week, something kept jumping out at me in these verses in particular. Because Paul says that the law is not based on faith. It's not based on faith. So the question I ask myself, if the law isn't based on faith, then what or who is it dependent on? The answer to the question is probably why the law is powerless to save. Because ultimately, the law, who the, the law depends on is you. The law, dep- the law is based on your ability to uphold it. It's based on your ability to essentially redeem yourself. Perhaps the primary reason the law cannot, sa- cannot justify you is because it puts you in the position of God. It puts you in the position to save yourself, to live righteously without God's help, which is the great irony of religion because that in and of itself is sinful. It's prideful. It is prideful to believe that you can earn your way to heaven by your own good deeds and by keeping the letter of the law. Listen, guys, if God says that you're sinful, but that He loves you and that He doesn't want to abandon you to your sin and He provides a way for you to be reconciled to Him, but you say, no thanks, God, I got this. I can do it on my own. Then, guys, that is sin. Paul is saying here that you are not justified by your ability to keep the law. You're not justified by how good of a person you can be. You are not justified by how religious you are. None of that justifies you. It is by faith. But faith in who? 
Is it faith in Santa Claus, a tooth fairy, or Bigfoot? Faith in who? Number three in your notes, we are justified by faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Verse 13 says this, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Guys, this is the bare bones truth of the gospel. This is the good news. That because of our sin, we were cursed. And what is that curse? It's the, it's the curse of death. It's the curse of eternal damnation and separation from God. It's getting what we deserve because our sin, for our sin, which is what? It's God's wrath. It's what we deserve. But the good news of the gospel is that we're redeemed from the curse because of Jesus. The word redeemed from the Greek, it means to buy back. It means to ransom. It means to rescue from loss. And in Jesus, this is exactly what we experience. Our sin places us in debt with God, and we're seriously in the hole spiritually, but God in His immense love for His creation provides the means by which we can be redeemed, the means by which we can be bought back, that we can be ransomed, that we can be rescued, and He does so through Jesus. The price for our sin is death. That's what our sinfulness merits. But instead, Jesus steps in, and He keeps the law. The only one, God in the flesh, lives a perfect and sinless life. And then he picks up the bill for your sin and mine. He picks up the sin debt by giving his life on the cross. Jesus' sinless and innocent death absorbs and fully satisfies the wrath of God that should have been poured out on us. And he buys us back from the grip of sin and offers us the opportunity to swap out our current condition with his. So that... So that before God, we can be called righteous. We can be called pure. We can be called holy. We were cursed. But Jesus becomes a curse in our place. So that we can experience all the benefits of being called a child of God. And three days later is what we sang about a moment ago. After Jesus' death, because God is almighty. Three days after his death, because God rules and reigns from the heavens above. Because he is the author of life. Jesus conquers Satan's sin and the grave. And he walks out of the grave victoriously. And in his death, we experience the forgiveness of our sin. Our sin that is paid and fully satisfied in Jesus. In his life, we can experience newness of life. And we too can walk victoriously with new identity as the redeemed, as the loved, as the forgiven as the righteous and as a child of God. And if you're here today and you've not experienced the mercy and the forgiveness of the Father, or if you're attempting to earn your way to God through religion, through keeping the law, through good works, if you're trying to do that and I'm afraid you're under a curse, but you don't have to be because the good news of the gospel is that you too can experience God's amazing forgiveness and grace in Christ Jesus. How? Verse 11. Read this verse out loud with me together, guys, as we close this out. Chapter 3, verse 11. You have it there in your notes. Read it out loud. Ready? Go. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. To experience God's amazing grace and His love and His forgiveness, all you need to do is put faith off of yourself and off of your ability to save yourself and to put it onto the only one who can. Put your faith in Jesus. 
If you're here today and you've yet to make that decision, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, then I want to encourage you to do so. And I hear a sort of the way you can do that. It's a decision between you and God, and I, I would never want to force or coerce you or make you do anything like that or embarrass you. It's a decision between you and God. You can make that decision from right there in your seat right now. But if you made that decision to follow Jesus, then on the back of your connection card, I would love to point your attention there. There's a slot there where you can check off, hey, I've made Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. Because while that was a decision between you and God, and we, as your church family, we want to come around you. We want to celebrate you. We want to equip you. We want to resource you. We want to encourage you. We want to celebrate that decision to follow Jesus. So if that's you and you made that decision today, check that off. And in a moment, Shannon will let you know how you can hand those connection cards in. But if that's you, put your faith off of yourself and put it in Jesus today. Uh, Hunter's going to come up here and he's going to lead us in, in one more song. And as we sing, I just want you to reflect on, uh, on the words of this song. And I'm going to invite you guys to pray uh, with me. God, I just thank you for freeing us from the curse of the law. That, uh, that in our sinfulness and in our waywardness, we, were, we are incapable of keeping the law. But thank you that instead of receiving what we deserve, instead of uh, uh, putting God's wrath upon us, uh, God, you, you, you don't give us what we deserve. You sent Jesus to die in our place and to forgive us of our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for becoming a curse for me in my place so that I can be called forgiven, so that I can be called loved, so I can be cherished, so I can be called a child of God. Father, we thank you. The righteous will live by faith. God, we put our faith in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.